The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. I do think a lot of candidates are wooed by the headlines of crazy starting salaries and they think, oh, that's fantastic. You know, I want to be a lawyer. But the reality for, for most people in the profession is not that incredible starting salary. That idea of paying someone a lot of money and then the crushing kind of culture that that might come with and the burnout that might result isn't really building a, a good platform for a, for a legal profession, I think, for the future. We'd probably be better off thinking about how we can better manage people's work-life balance. Hello listeners, it's Yasmin Sheikh here and welcome to another episode of The Hearing Podcast. Great to have your company again. The next guest we have for you is Joanne Pugh. She goes by the name of Jo, and she is the Dean of BPP Law School. We wanted to have Jo as a guest because we wanted to talk about legal education and start at that end rather than, as we have with previous guests mostly, is talked about people once they're in their careers. Um, there's been a lot of changes in the legal education. Uh, the SQE came into force uh, last September. Jo speaks a little bit about that, what it is, what it looks like. She talks about the new skills lawyers need to have, uh, what the legal profession is going to look like in the future, uh, emotional intelligence, um, tapping into resilience, all of these, um, if you like, softer skills. So Jo will expand on that in the interview. The Hearing. I'm so pleased to welcome our next guest, um, who is Joanne Pugh, and she is the Dean of BPP Law School. Welcome, Jo. I can call you Jo, I hope. Uh, Yes, you you can. That's fine. Fantastic. Welcome to the podcast. Really great to have your company here. Jo, um, the first question I want to ask you, you're, you're the Dean of BPP Law School now, but you qualified, I believe, as a solicitor uh, in 1997. Why did you want to become a solicitor? Could you just tell us a little bit about that? It's a bit embarrassing, really, because I don't think I did want to become a <laughs> solicitor. It wasn't oh. my first passion at all. My first passion was the theatre, um, oh. which I did lots of in my sort of teens and 20s. But to be honest, I wasn't cut out for that precarious career that is the theatre and acting so um, I couldn't really face the idea of waiting for my next role or contract so I suppose by the time I got to my mid-20s I was looking for something stable with good prospects Um, I was working uh, for various building societies uh, at that time and I came across solicitors in that role and I thought it seemed like an interesting career And it was nothing more than that. It was just a bit of a punt. So it's very uninspiring. I don't have any great (laughs) stories for you about, you know, being passionate to to make a difference. But once I got into it, you know, I I certainly, um, you know, grew to love it. So something, yeah, something very different, I think, to what a lot of people will tell you about their journey into law. Well, we've all got different routes in. So that's your that's your story. That's absolutely fine. And what was your career path then to becoming Dean? Um, what did, how did what did you specialise in as a solicitor? I was actually a commercial property solicitor, and I um, I, I joined Eversheds. Uh, they were Eversheds, Hepworth, and Chadwick at the time. I did my training contract there, and then I um, went into a newly qualified role, and I stayed with Eversheds uh, for about seven years in total. But but I guess you know 
I had quite an unusual journey into the legal profession. I mean, I've said it wasn't my first passion, uh, but, you know, I don't come from a professional really or legal background. Um, I'm the first generation in my family to go to university. You know, I went to a kind of underperforming comp. Um, So when I got into the legal profession in the 90s, I actually found like I didn't fit. I didn't feel like I fitted. Um, Mm. And it, it just felt difficult for me especially then I'd had two small children and I got this opportunity to go and work for BPP back in 2003-2004 and I loved it and I've been with BPP now for 17 years Uh, I did all sorts of roles tutor program leader Um, the last role I did before becoming the dean was as director of program development and I was heading up a design team looking at the SQE and Mm. using that as an opportunity to, um, you know, change how we did things at BPP uh, in Mm. terms of our programs and teaching strategy and everything. So it was quite an unusual and and long route to becoming the dean. (laughs) Yes, yes. And now most of our listeners are lawyers and they will be familiar with the SQE, but as we've mentioned it now, could you just tell us what the SQE stands for and, and, and what is it exactly for those listeners who may not be familiar with, with what it is? So the SQE um, is a set of assessments um, that you need to pass in order to qualify as a solicitor now. So the route to becoming qualified as a solicitor has changed. It used to be that you needed a law degree or a conversion course like I did. Um, Then you needed to do the legal practice course, then a training contract um, and make sure you had all the character and suitability issues ticked off and then you would become a solicitor. Um, But it's been completely deregulated now and all you need is a degree of any sort, not a law degree um, or the equivalent And then you need to pass SQE1, which is two papers of multiple choice questions. And then you pass SQE2, which is a skills assessment, but also assesses knowledge. Um, You need two years of qualifying work experience, which is less rigid than the training contract. um, And that's how you become a solicitor. So it's a deregulated world in which there are no mandatory courses, but you have to pass centralized assessments. Mm. And the SQE, of course, will replace the legal practice course um, eventually. But And it came into force last September, I believe. That's right. Yes. So we had our first SQE assessments in November. Uh, and they are the first ones. In fact, the results have just come out now. Uh, so there are still opportunities to, to qualify via the old route. But you had to have started on that journey before the 31st of August last year. It's There's quite complicated rules, but that's that's the basic position. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. That's really helpful. And um, the skills part, I believe BPP have devised a skills course, which um, in in um, consultation with city law firms, is that correct? Well, um, you know, I said I, in my previous role, I was director of program development and we mm. looked at our learning and teaching strategy. Actually, what we decided then was that we were going to embed skills throughout all of the programs that we teach because in practice as a lawyer you don't separate out the knowledge from the skills and so it's important when we're um, you know 
designing courses designed to get you ready for the profession that we don't separate out the skills. So yes, at BPP, we do have a specific um, coaching course that gets you ready for the SQE2 skills program. But actually, all of our programs embed uh, skills and professional behaviours that are important for sort of contemporary legal practice. And that's part of our DNA. Mm, interesting. And, you know, there's some people who will qualify as a solicitor, and maybe they haven't thought about um, becoming a dean of a law school. Could you tell us, you know, what, what is your typical day? What does it look like? What does a dean actually do for those who may not know? Oh, my goodness. Um, no, no day is the same. It's a very wide ranging role. I'm not ultimately I'm responsible for all of the law school programs and the student learning experience. So some of the time will be sent, spent, you know, looking at quality assurance processes and um, looking at performance of our students across the range of programs and deciding what interventions or changes we need to make. Um, a lot of the time is actually spent talking to our students, making sure that they're enjoying their studies, that they're well prepared for their legal careers. Um, so there's, you know, various student voice activities that we do across uh, across all of the programmes. But I also have to work with regulators like the SRA um, and the Bar Standards Board. And I spend a lot of time with law firms. Uh, you know, we design some bespoke programs for law firms and it's always great to meet with them and understand what uh, they're facing now and what they want us to help them develop in their new um, you know their new pipeline of talent and we also work with with chambers and, and understand how we need to finesse our bar course to meet their needs as well but a lot of the time I'm looking after our staff. We've got an absolutely mm. fantastic team of professionally qualified tutors and support staff. So, you know, it's a really wide ranging job looking at all aspects of, of, of higher education, but specifically around vocational legal education. Mm. And, and it's probably helpful, is it, that you've um, been there for, what, 17 years, I think you said. And, yes. you know, carried out varied jobs there. So you really know the workings within BPP and what people do um, in, in different roles. That must be helpful for your job as a dean. It, it is very helpful. And I've known a lot of the people I work with, you know, for, for that amount of mm. time. Um, you know, I think some people um, join legal education for a while and then go back into practice. But some people, you know, it. it really is a passion of theirs and they enjoy developing the next generation of legal professionals so I'm, I'm proud to have worked alongside a lot of people who who've made a real career and enjoy this uh, very much mm. yeah well I can see you enjoy it just by watching the way you describe your job which is lovely to see the passion really really shines through actually um now, the last couple of years must have been incredibly challenging um, given we're going through a pandemic. What sort of challenges at work have you faced being a, a dean there at BPP? Well, I suppose when the pandemic sort of hit, um, the biggest challenge straight away was to try and move all of our provision online very quickly. Mm. So we were actually able to replicate all of the, the tutorials and, and lectures that we would have normally done um, in an online environment straight away. So... We're quite proud of, you know, the fact that we carried on offering our students learning opportunities and assessment opportunities um, 
enabling them to go on to, to their training contracts and get their qualifications without a, a break. So that was that was a great thing. But um, it, was, it wasn't without its challenges because we were launching our two new programs at the time, uh, the, the postgraduate diploma in law and the new bar course. Mm. And we'd chosen some new educational technology uh, to support that. We'd invested in an um, a personalized adaptive learning platform with some AI built in, which was sort of gearing us up for SQE. We also designed um, a virtual practice environment that replicated uh, a law firm intranet and was sort of sending emails to the students to, um, you know, bring case studies to life and had a document management system in it. So we already knew we were going to have to train up our faculty to really understand those platforms. But then, of course, with the pandemic, they also had to, you know, accelerate their skills around the teaching platforms and the digital assessment platforms. So there was so much for staff to learn and get to grips with. But, you know, we did it and it was um, it was really you know, quite heartwarming, I suppose, mm. to how, how everyone pulled together and, and made sure that our students had the best experience they could. I mean, you know, I think it was really tough for students at that mm. time. It was lonely, um, you know, in their bedrooms, in their parents' houses, you know, trying to um, get a community of learners together. But we, we did our very best at BPP. We set, set up a virtual campus and tried mm. to do lots of supportive activities as well as just the learning activities. Mm. With dealing with their well-being and, and mental health generally. Yeah, that's, that's important right, yes. as well. And what's what's happening now then are our students back to face-to-face -face, uh, learning they are they are back in our classrooms and I, I you know the staff and the students are really enjoying the fact that they you know that they're back in that um they were somewhere closer to normality we're still having masks in the classroom um mm. and in the, the the common areas of the law school but you know actually We've learned an awful lot about online delivery and there is a place for using online resources and online delivery. But what you do sometimes lack is that, you know, corridor moment where yes. you can just help a student with a, with a small query or they can help each other. That peer-to-peer -peer learning is very hard to replicate online. Mm. Um, although, you know, actually what I've taken from what we did during the pandemic is that it's surprising how much you can achieve online with the right design uh, and the right approach. Mm. It's the equivalent of the water cooler moment, isn't it, in the office when you could just ask, especially if you're, you know, a trainee or a student, you know, you, and you're learning, um, it's just asking that question and picking someone's brain rather than setting up a Zoom call or uh, something like that. It's just those moment to moment um, experiences for people. Yeah. And, and talking to law firms who are trying to embrace a hybrid world of working, I think that, you know, those who are on their training contracts also miss those types of moments, you know, sitting in, um, yeah. you know, an office or in an open plan area with those you know, solicitors who might be supervising them, just being able to observe or ask a quick question. That was much harder mm. uh, during the pandemic. Oh, absolutely. I remember my first seat was family law. And uh, I, my supervising partner was amazing. And I would sit in her room and observe the way she would speak to clients and 
you know, I'm, you're taking all this information in, that's learning as well, and you just can't get that online. So is there a hybrid way um, that BPP does things now, or is it all, all face-to-face? Are you using any online teaching at all? For those students who want to or, or. yes absolutely um, almost all of our programs have the opportunity to do the, the collaboration bit uh, either in a traditional classroom or on an online learning platform we, we happen to use adobe connect but i know other, others use teams or, or zoom it's really a matter of preference i mean there are lots of advantages for learners being able to learn you know, using an online delivery platform, it means they may not have to move out of home um, and they can continue to, to live with their parents and save money and not have to, to you know, spend money on rent. Um, but actually, when we talk about face-to-face or online delivery, the most important thing to remember is that a lot of learning takes place outside of the classroom. And mm. I talked earlier about some of the um, investment we've made in educational technology and, and that supports you know that collaborative experience in the classroom so you've got to go through the bit where you learn new knowledge and you've also got to try and put it into practice and do a little bit of thinking and preparation before you come into a face-to-face workshop where you're then testing that knowledge that you've built with your peers you know with the help of a tutor who facilitates you and then you need to go away and do a little bit of consolidation so that's the whole learning process and mm. that doesn't all take place face to face so we try to use the right platforms and the right blended approach depending on which stage of that learning cycle you are in but but yes we do think it's important to provide um, choice for the learner mm. and if that choice is I'd actually quite like you know, learning in front of my computer at home, you know, I've got caring responsibilities, mm. or it's, this is easier for me, then it, it widens participation um, yes. to the profession, which is also really important. Yeah, absolutely. And so what, what do you think that legal education looks like in the future then? Well, <laughs> that is a very big question, isn't it? Um, and there's been a lot of criticism around the SQE, which we're not mm. going to get into today. But what I do think about the SQE is it's it's given everyone, you know, law firms, law schools, uh, an opportunity to think about, well, what does the legal profession look like uh, in the 21st century? What do we need mm. it to look like? And therefore, how does legal education best serve that? process. What I've been really um, pleased about and I agree with is that there's less of a an emphasis on legal knowledge, you know, gathering lots of legal knowledge and regurgitating it in a sort of um, traditional three-hour exam, closed book, where you've just got to remember all the cases and all the statutes and, and show that you can um, you know, craft an answer to a client. Mm. What I'm hearing and what we're designing are courses that are actually setting you up for your career more. So thinking about not just the knowledge, but the skills you need to develop and keep developing through your career and the professional behaviors that are going to be so important for 
you know, a profession that's really, really changing. Mm. So w- we've been working with and, and hope to work more formally um, very soon with a group called the O-Shaped Lawyer Group. Mm. Um I suppose they've come up as a a kind of a pressure group for accelerating change in the profession and saying that we really do need to change the culture of of, um, legal practice, you know, the billable hours culture, the burnout culture. We need to give aspiring legal professionals the tools to look after themselves and to thrive in an industry that's going through significant change. and and we do need a more diverse profession. I mentioned widening participation earlier. It's important mm. that we attract people and retain people to this profession. Um, and I think it's the, the duty of law schools to, to help at the beginning of that journey. So they've been the building blocks of the courses we've designed um, for the SQE, but also for barristers to really think about how we build in those skills, behaviours, that sort of reflective approach to your learning, um, which is a real sea change, I think, from how it was in the 90s when um, when I trained. It was just about remember this, regurgitate it, and then you do the real learning, you know, in your training contract. Yeah, yeah so, my training was my my training's a bit like that as well I mean it means I've got a very good memory but yeah some of those other skills are equally important to make a well-rounded O-shaped lawyer if you like um, and, and I know this the O-shaped lawyer was only set up uh, founded in 2019 which is interesting um, and their mantra is people first then lawyers which is just what you've you've described some of these professional behaviors what, what are you specifically talking about here is this emotional intelligence or what are you what are you getting at there joe yes it, it's it, it's about how you treat other people um how you look after yourself and that that should come first and if that comes first the way we work with other people then actually you're more likely to delight your clients <laughs> you're more likely mm-hmm. to be able to uh, be resilient and cope you know in the long term with your your career ambitions. Um, it, when I talk about professional behaviours and and the courses we've designed, th- there's a whole part around you know looking after yourself and others and your own well being and that embracing the diversity of the profession. But there's also a whole load of other sort of professional behaviours around making sure that you do understand uh, the clients you're working for, how they operate as a business. Um, you know, the financials around some of that, the fact that you are, you know, working for a company that's also trying to make money. Um, so that there's a whole range of understanding about how technology is disrupting the profession, how we might harness technology to deliver a better service to our clients. So I mean, we've designed uh, part of our programs as the business of law. Uh, so mm. we, we weave in all of those topics. But we've also put in one of our assessment uh, criteria, one of our assessment tools is the use of a portfolio. So in the past, in the LPC, for example, you had to pass a legal writing exam box ticked. Mm. You had to pass a legal drafting exam box ticked. 
what we think is it's much better if you curate examples of the simulated work you do at law school and you reflect on that and think, okay, well, I'm, I can do these tasks in drafting, but next I probably need to work on this. So you never see yourself as the finished article. You always think, okay, well, this is something I'm going to be doing all of the time. I'm a lawyer, getting better at drafting, getting better at my advocacy. And thinking, do I work well in a team? You know, you know, am I am I treating everybody the right way? Am I getting the most out of my developing leadership skills? Mm. So it's about thinking about all of those things and weaving in the foundational part of that into the courses that we do and setting people off on the right journey into their professional career. Mm. Because I looked at the, the website for O-Shape Lawyer, which is an interesting read. I'd urge uh, listeners to, to look at that. Uh, you've explained it beautifully anyway, but in, in summary. But they describe it as, you know, um, hoping that for lawyers of the future, they'll be more well-rounded, more human-centric and emotionally intelligent as well, which are obviously really good skills to have as a, as a person and as a lawyer, obviously. Joe, is there anything else you wanted to say that you haven't covered already? I think I am quite passionate about uh, making sure we attract the right people um, and a more diverse set of people to this profession. Mm. Um, I mean, on a personal level, um, I have two neurodiverse children who had quite a late diagnosis and it, it became very clear to me when they were going through the education system that the education system does really need to change and become more inclusive yeah. and supportive. So, you know, I, I think that the opportunity for me as, as dean of a law school is to think about what I can do to affect that change. Obviously, it's not, you know, at the earlier stages of the education system. But I, I think that we should look at everything we do to, to try to ensure that, uh, you know, we're not putting candidates in an unfair situation where they haven't got the opportunity to, to show and develop their talent, really. Yeah, a barrier-free approach to people who may learn in different ways or have different skills. How do we tap into that? Um, yeah, you're, you're talking to a woman after my <laughs> own heart here. So, yeah, that's exactly what I do in my, in my work. Absolutely. Brilliant. Anything else you wanted to add, Joe? What's the future for you? you, you well, you've only taken up this post, this dean. Was it four <laughs> months ago? Too soon to ask that yes, question, I, I guess. Yes, I think, I, yeah, I think um, I've got, <laughs> got a lot your hands of work. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot of work to do in this role. Um, you know, I feel very privileged to have been given this opportunity. Um, it's it, it's it does come with a lot of responsibility. Mm. Uh, it's um, the legal education market is going to be very volatile for the next uh, few years. There are lots of providers uh, coming onto the market offering different types of education for SQE. I feel quite sorry for candidates who are sitting there trying to choose where should I go how should I learn to pass the SQE should I just get some books out of the library and do it myself should I go on a short test prep course uh, or should I you know go, go to one of the traditional providers and, and do one of these sort of deeper courses that focus on um, not just passing the SQE but um, you know improving mm. my employability one of the, the, the issues about deregulation is that you're going to get a huge variety of products for, for mm. candidates to choose from. And 
you know, it's important that my, people like myself give good advice and clear guidance to candidates about the pros and cons of the different approaches. You know, when you were just choosing where shall I do my LPC, mm. it wasn't such a big decision. But now yeah. it really is quite a big decision. It can be quite different in terms of cost, but also could be quite different in terms of outcome. Mm. And I guess each person, you probably give different advice depending on their situation. Well, that's right. Um, I mean, you know, we said we weren't going to get into the, you know, the the pros and cons of the SQE, but the bottleneck Mm. for qualification as a solicitor was always getting a training contract. So lots of people might do a law degree and an LPC, but then they weren't able to get themselves a training contract. And so they would get, if you like, stuck in a paralegal role. What the SQE offers is the chance to use that paralegal experience as part of your qualifying work experience. So if you can get a degree or equivalent past SQE1 and SQE2 and you've got this two years that you've built up as a paralegal, you're able to call yourself a solicitor. Mm. But are there going to be enough jobs for all of those solicitors? So the bottleneck sort of moves. I guess it might drive down the numbers of of people doing paralegal roles, you might have more solicitors doing lower level work. We don't quite know how that's going to pan out. But, um, you know, ultimately, it's still a profession that a number of people aspire to do, which is great. I think a lot of people, if you think back to how we started this conversation, and I said, why why did I want to be a solicitor? You know, it's because it offered a stable income and it it seemed, um, you know, something that was going to be much less precarious than my my potential life in the theatre. I I do think a lot of candidates are wooed by the headlines of, you know, crazy starting salaries and they think Mm. oh that's fantastic you know I want to be a lawyer but the reality for for most people in the profession is not that incredible starting salary and to take us back to the O-shaped lawyer you know that idea of paying someone a lot of money and then the crushing kind of culture that that might come with and the burnout that might result isn't really building a, a good platform for a for a legal profession I think for the future we'd probably be better off thinking about how we can better manage people's work-life balance than paying yeah. them huge salaries for a short period of time while they yeah, can manage absolutely. that that working life yeah exciting times for you Joe. uh it sounds like very challenging work but extremely rewarding as well um and it sounds like you're doing some good work there so thank you so much for being a wonderful guest on the hearing podcast no problem thank you so much for having me the hearing thank you so much for listening and as ever we would love to hear your feedback like and subscribe and also if you've got any thoughts if you think about topics you want us to explore or maybe you want a guest to be interviewed and you're dying for them to be interviewed let us know we'd love to hear from you The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.